Good morning, everyone. You can be seated if you'd like, or if you want to stand through the whole thing, that's good too. I'm going to be doing that. So welcome, and I'm glad to see some familiar faces that we haven't seen in a while, so welcome back. And this is our third week, I think, back from when we stopped the second time or fourth. I, don't know, I can't count anymore. <laughs> I'm done counting numbers. Um, but I'm, I'm glad you're here, and I'm, it's good to see you, and we are going to continue um, monitoring the situation um, that's going on in Warren County, and I keep telling you every week, the numbers are getting better and better, but thank you for wearing your masks, and, and those around you appreciate it as well. Um, I'm going to stand back, so I'm not wearing a mask, because I muffle enough without wearing a mask, and if I wear a mask, nobody will understand anything I'm saying. But you'll sit there and nod and say amen anyways. But anyway, I won't do that to you. So thank you again for being here this morning. And we talked about restoration last week, and we talked about our identity before that. All of this to prepare us for getting back to what God has called us to do. And, and, it's, and if we've noticed anything or seen anything in the past year, it's that things have to change not just because of what happened with the virus, but everything else that's been going on, not only in the world, but in our country as well. Um, all the division and the hatred and bitterness towards one another is just out of control and something's gotta give. And I firmly believe that um, trying to do that via social media without face-to-face -face is just not gonna be the answer. Uh, nobody wants to debate anything anymore on social media. It's even more comfortable because nobody can actually see your face. They can just type whatever they want. And it's, and it's, it's disturbing to me just how toxic that is. But that has bled over into our human interactions too. And we've really gotten to a place where we're just so divisive. We will literally just say, we will just literally be a contrarian to anybody that comes to us. So that's the way we are. So we had to figure out what our identity was and who we actually are and remind ourselves of this so we can start to be the church again. Not the church that was because church has to change a little bit. I've said this before, and you know, the church as a whole has been declining for the past 20 years, yet the number of church buildings, and I use the word buildings with people in it, have grown. So you have a growth in the number of churches being created, but a decline in the number of people who are coming to Christ. That tells me the church has to rethink its strategy and how they reach people. And it's not going to be by, by big audiences and big buildings. It's going to come down to your relationship with your neighbor. It's going to come down with what you're doing in your community. And we have to be prepared for that. So part of our, what we're talking about in restoration is just getting to that point where we're going to start to restore some things, and we're going to start to restore even more. So, the, so um, I, I, I wrote a bunch of stuff down that I already said, so now I've got to scroll through it. <laughs> restoration doesn't come on its own. Wouldn't it be nice if we just sat home and, and binged watched whatever we wanted on on TV and, and everything just, we wake up one morning and go outside and everything's fine. Everybody's chatty and all the comments on social media are positive. It's like, oh, you go, that's just not going to happen. It doesn't come that way. Restoration and reconciliation back to the Father is only going to come 
by the way of the church. Do you know that? It's not going to be um, a government that's going to do this or legislation that's going to do this. More specifically, the local church, that means you and I, I and you, however you want to say it. But what can we do? What can we do here? What can we do here at Front Royal? We're a pretty small church, if you want to, you know, go with numbers, although the a couple of years ago, the average size of a church in, in Virginia was 50 people, so I guess we're just average or below and everybody's here. We're pretty small, and there's over 60-something churches in Front Royal, so what makes us any different, and what can we do? Today, we're going to look at Scripture, just as we did last week to kind of get a point of view or a strategy on what we can do and how we can do it and how, how possible things are when you allow the Lord to take over and give him your all. We're going to talk about one person who felt the need to restore, but before I get to that, I want to ask you today, what do you need to restore? What are the things, some of the things that you need to restore? What do we do? What does Royal Oak Community Church with the word community in its name, what do we do for our community? We're already doing a lot of things. We're feeding people. We're ministering to teens. We're reaching out to uh, hotel ministries. We're reaching out to our kids. We have Bible stuff. We have not, uh, what do we call them, small groups? Life groups. I get that wrong every week. Life groups. We have life groups. We have other people that just do things on their own, and you'd be surprised the number of people that individually help others and and so many other things going on. But there's, there's more to do, and that can seem overwhelming, and we're going to kind of focus in on that today and kind of narrow things down a little bit. It doesn't mean we're going to get rid of anything, but our mind, the way our mind thinks with, with doing things, we're going to learn from one of the pros in the Old Testament about how he handled this. Um, in order to change things, though, we need to be focused. We really do. For me, that, that can be a little bit difficult. I tend to have um, um, ADD when it comes to uh, technical stuff when I'm working. <laughs> I will go on so many rabbit trails looking for things and end up not knowing what I was working on five minutes before. So being focused for me is something that, that's challenging. And, you know, we don't need to worry about changing the world. You know, Jesus came to save the world. We don't have to change it directly. The local church, I believe, is here to take care of their local community. And with all of the churches around the world, if every church focused on their community, guess what happens? We impact the world. So let's stay focused and let's stay focused in Front Royal and Warren County and, you know, right here. So what does it mean to focus? What does focus mean? When you try to change 50 things or 10 things at a time, you end up changing nothing. If you, get, if you have a to-do list that's, you know, impressive to somebody, wow, you have 100 things to do today. Yeah, I guarantee you'll get two of them done, and then you'll just move the rest to tomorrow's to-do list. And then you'll add more to that. So staying focused really means that you have to be aware of what you can do and do it. You also need to be consistent. 
You have to be consistent because change doesn't come automatically. You have to have something that you want to do, and you have to keep going and keep going until it's done. And that may seem very obvious, but I can think of many times where I've failed at that myself. Maybe I'm the only one. But when you do those things together, when you're focused and you're consistent, then things will change. Things will change. And there's a great account in the Bible of one man who felt the need to bring restoration to a place that was completely destroyed. And his name is Nehemiah. And I'm going to tell this joke. I know most of you have heard it. But Nehemiah was the shortest man in the Bible. And he was about this high, or, or knee-high. So Nehemiah was, yeah. That's a dad joke, I think. All right, I'll never say that joke again. I can't say that because I'll probably forget that I've said it and say it again. But Nehemiah was an Israelite man who lived during the 5th century B.C. Now, a little background. The kingdom of Israel, which God established, um, was, it was the kingdom that God had promised Abraham all the way back in Genesis. It was a mighty kingdom for a while. When King David and Solomon ruled, it was very mighty and strong. Not soon after Solomon, um, other kings came into power and really just tore it apart, literally. The, um, they became so weak, and they neglected God, and, and what happened was um, they were taken around 587 B.C. They were taken over by Babylon, and they were sent to Babylon. They pulled everybody out, and they sent them away. They were no longer in their country. They were living in a foreign land. Babylon conquered Jerusalem, destroyed it, and took back thousands and thousands of people with them. Jerusalem, the temple, and everything was completely destroyed. The wall that surrounded Jerusalem was completely demolished. It was, it was, it was horrible to see. Jerusalem was left in shambles. It had no walls. You know, people couldn't be safe anymore. People were literally just piling up rocks and trying to make some kind of shelter because they had nobody else. It was, it was a scary time for the people who were left there and probably even scarier for the ones who were taken to another country. They had no temple. How could they worship their God? They were used to going to the temple and worshiping, praying, or some of them praying to God. They couldn't do that anymore. And many years later, a, name, a man named Nehemiah comes along and he wasn't even living in Israel when this happened. He was born in Babylon. And the Bible says he was a cupbearer to King Cyrus. Of the, he was the king of the Persians who had them at this moment. And, you know, Nehemiah starts hearing reports. And, you know, the one thing, we talked about this a few weeks ago, I think, or maybe the last time we were here, um, about how um, there was no Bible but yet everybody knew all the stories because they would tell each other. If you're a father, you would tell your sons and daughters, or mother, you would tell your sons and daughters, and then your grandparents and the great, they would all recite the same story. So they knew, and Nehemiah heard all this, you know, and heard about this God and who he was, knew who he was, and knew that there was a promised land for them and that it got destroyed. So Nehemiah starts hearing these reports about the people who were, back in Jerusalem, because the king of Persia let some of them go, different king that had them, he let them go. So some of them went back, and they started saying, the reports started coming in of just how badly destroyed Jerusalem was. 
And he, ha- he started having a heart for that because of everything he heard and everything that God had done and how he ordained this place to be. And he begins praying and asking, God, what can I do to save this city? So he approached the king and he asked him if he could return to rebuild the walls of the city. So you say, how does a cupbearer who's somebody that's, you know, not natively from there, how does he approach a king, the king of Persia? Well, a cupbearer may seem like just somebody walking around with a cup and bearing it, whatever that means. No, actually, they would give, you know, hand him his drink. But the, but the interesting thing with a cupbearer is he was responsible for the king's life. He had to trust Nehemiah with his life because you probably know this, but kings would often um, eat poisonous food or drink. Somebody would slip something into their drink, and that's how they would be killed. So this cupbearer, he had an in with the Persian king. So he approached him and said, I need to do something. He's a cupbearer, but he's not a contractor. He tells him, I want to rebuild Jerusalem. He has no idea what he's doing. He's a cupbearer all his life. But that was on his heart. And he feels passionate about it. And he says, I really need to do this. And uh, he said, I've thought about this many times. And how many times have we thought about doing something big and it gets so overwhelming we just give up before we even start? We want to help our community. That's a very broad and, and statement. How do we do that? It seems impossible. There's a lot of things in, this, in, this, um, in our community that need help with. People need help with food. They need clothing. They need money. They need jobs. They need to get off drugs. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in every community, really, when you start really looking. So how do we do all this? It seems impossible, and it is impossible for one. But sometimes it just takes one to get something started. Others join in, and before long, there's major things happening, and we can do big things in our community, and it, you kind of feed off each other. And that's exactly what Nehemiah was. He was a catalyst to change what Jerusalem looks like. But he does more than just pray and ask God to restore and, and the, what was destroyed. He does more than that. He actually takes action. You know, prayer, I believe prayer without action doesn't yield much. Now, it doesn't mean you have to do everything, but when you pray to God and ask for opportunity to do things and he gives you opportunity, you need to take the opportunity. So once Nehemiah arrives, he gathers people together in Jerusalem and says this to them. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, he says, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins, its gates burned. Come, let us build a wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. There were many things that needed to be fixed. It was overwhelming to look at a destroyed city and wonder what you do first. He had to pick something first, and that one thing he picked was the wall. He says, let's rebuild this wall. Remember, he's a cupbearer. He's not a contractor. He's probably never built anything in his life. So he chose this one thing, and it gave them focus. It was right in front of them. Literally, all they had to do was bend over and pick up a stone. 
A city with no walls obviously has numerous issues, right? If you, if, especially in those times. Anything valuable within the city would be prone to attack. People would be prone to attack. People felt unsafe and vulnerable. They were in survival mode at this time. Fixing the wall was the first step back in rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. That's what Nehemiah thought. And now we as a church, as we try to restore ourselves and our community, we also need to start identifying the wall or that one thing that we can focus on. And I believe that's a challenge, going to be a challenge for us to figure out what we need to do. We can do a couple things right, or we can do many things and kind of do it mediocre. Right now, I think we're doing a lot of things right. We're not biting off more than I, we can chew, and sometimes the tendency for churches are to just to have 50 different ministries that, that everybody, so everybody's in something that they like, and pretty soon you're just making things up so somebody feels a part of it. We don't do that here. We, we really just focus on the needs of our community, and we're going to keep doing that, and that's not going to change. It may seem overwhelming, though, and it was overwhelming for Nehemiah, and, you know, but all they had to do was look down, and all he had to do, and this is key, had to do one thing to get started. And the only thing he had to do was pick up a rock and place it where it should have been. He did that once, and then people started doing the same thing. He kept doing it, and he kept doing it. And pretty soon, the wall was there. The wall was going up. He didn't have all the knowledge, but he figured, I could put some rocks together, and we can start this. Remember, real change starts with focus. And when you focus on one thing, that thing gets done and consistent. He didn't pick up one rock and then look over and say, well, the temple really needs to be restored too. Let me work on that a little bit. I'll come back to the wall and I'll fix the doors that were burnt down and we'll, we'll get some timber in here. He didn't do that. He focused on that one thing. For Nehemiah and the people, they, they set their minds to this one thing and, they, and that they were determined to change it and determined to rebuild this wall. But once again, they started facing opposition. See, wouldn't it be nice if that was all it took was like, God, I'm just going to do this and everything is going to go great. As soon as you make a decision to change things and to rebuild things that, got, that was once God's and was torn down by man, you know the enemy is going to get in there and try to disrupt that. So let's listen to what Nehemiah records. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah bad guys, and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, there's a lot of dites here, heard the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that they, you know, that, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they all plotted together to come to fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. We prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Now, who were these guys? They didn't want the walls going up, probably for a number of reasons. They could pillage all that they want without walls. They can make a mess of things all they want without walls. So they're seeing Jerusalem. Jerusalem, read your Bibles, was a mighty city of God. People feared it. And when it came down, Many people rejoiced in its falling. And these guys did not want to see it go back up. 
So once the people started their work, they immediately focused opposition, and they had a choice at that point. Do we continue to rebuild the wall, or do we give up? Because these guys are serious, and they have a lot of resources, and we could die. They had a choice to make. They had a story to write about themselves in that moment. Do they stop or continue? What, what would be the uh, outcome of that? What would their children and grandchildren think of them? If they gave up, what would they think of them if they kept going? There's always going to be distractions. So many other things are vying for our time every day, every hour. All of a sudden, a life event happens, good or bad, and you feel forced to put things on hold for a while. I mean, sometimes you have to. Or maybe you're just too tired. I'm sure many of us can relate to that. (laughs) It'll happen. Something will come up for you, and and when you decide to change, Something will come in your way, and it'll try to pull you away from that focus. I'm encouraging you today to stay focused and consistent. Grab your sword. When the people were rebuilding the wall, and and I always thought this part was so interesting and neat and cool and all that stuff. When they were rebuilding the wall, these people were coming and attacking them. The Bible says that Nehemiah, when he was working, he was carrying a sword in one hand and picking up rocks with the other. That, to me, is just amazing. He didn't stop one to deal with the other. Now, I'm not suggesting you go buy swords. Please don't. Uh, I don't want to hear any, any uh, reports from the police. that They go to your church, they said, to get swords and rocks. <laughs> Now's not the time. We don't need that. Slingshots, yeah, or any, any weapon. But what I really, I mean, I, I, that just, that image in my mind has always stood with me with, with um, him standing there. He's like, I'm not going to let, you're not going to hurt me, and I'm not going to stop doing this work. That's what it takes sometimes to move forward, and, and it's not easy fighting battles and moving forward at the same time. And sometimes we just say, you know what, I, I have to deal with this first. And if they went full on and tried to fight these guys um, and the wall didn't get built, it would be counterproductive because they would, there's no wall going up. They're, they're going to be the same exposure every time they come in. The Bible says, I already said that, never mind. <laughs> now this group faced another issue with the enemy that they couldn't stop by force, so they decided to trick Nehemiah and cause distraction instead. These people that were thwarted by the swords, Sanballat and those guys, um, they, they wrote a letter. They wrote a letter to Nehemiah, and it says, come and meet us together at Hekafrakaram. <laughs> Begins with an H and ends with an M. In the plain of Ono. Now, if somebody tells you to go meet him at a place called Ono, Uh, No. He said, but they intended to do me harm. This is Nehemiah writing in his journal, basically. They intended to do me harms, and I sent a messenger saying to them, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? Nehemiah recognized it was a scheme to get him. He wasn't fooled by it, and he wasn't going to go. There's no doubt as we set out to restore that our enemy will immediately try to start chirping in your ear, and it'll sound something like this. 
you know, this morning I just have too much on my plate. You know, I'll, I'll read the Bible later tonight, or maybe I'll read it twice tomorrow, but right now I just can't do it. I can't spare five minutes to read God's Word. I've, I've done that. I'm being honest with you. Sometimes when I don't, and I just, it's, it's not right for me. Or you can say, I know I, I need to meet up with my life group this week, but, you know, it's just been a rough week, and I just want to relax and stay home and um, order DoorDash and hope they get my order right. Or 10 seasons of my favorite show just got put up on Netflix, so I am going to binge watch 20 episodes per season at a cost of my life of 200 hours. Yes. Yep. Yep. We all need to take time sometimes for ourselves. Yep. But when Sanballat attempted to direct Nehemiah's attention away, Nehemiah had a great response, a response that you can use, something that I want you to learn and use every time a Sanballat in your life comes up to you. He says, I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. I have that actually hanging in my wall, on my wall in my home office. My mother-in-law sent that to me a few years ago, and I look at it often. And I love that. You know, we can't always just stop because something else demands our time. Sometimes we need to, but a lot of times it's the enemy trying to divert you from getting something done. In my experience, when the enemy um, is doing that because he knows what good will come of what you're trying to do. I've said this before many times. You know, the enemy isn't going to waste his time on something that he doesn't think is going to work either. He's very strategic. He knows what's coming, and he's going to stop it. So what, what you are setting out to do may not make sense to someone else. You may have something that you need to do, but you tell somebody and say, well, I don't I don't think that's right for me. It's nothing I want to do. That's good because we're all supposed to be doing things for the glory of God anyway, and it's going to be different for some of us. If we're all doing the same one thing individually, the great thing in our community, though, is there's things in here that seem so simple that we can do, right? Feeding people going to hotels and motels. And sometimes we think, well, that's just too simple. I want to do something big. I want, like, the royal examiner to put an ad and show how great we've done in this church. And, you know, I want, I want everybody to know that Royal Oak Church did this. Be careful. Don't fall for that. If we just do what's right in front of us and not worry about all those things and do it because God asked us to, that's what we need to do. If people tell you that what they're doing is not going to do much, you know, it's like, well, you know what? I'll use my dad. You know what, Harry? If you're going to feed somebody, you know, once a week, you know, with a delicious meatball dinner beside your son, you're going to feed them once a week. That's not going to do. That's one meal a week. And they, they need more than that. 
Don't fall for that. Do what God has asked you to do. And if he's asked you to do something that seems too simple, but it's, you know it's God, do it. Because there's a lot more that you don't see behind that. Nehemiah was mocked, hated, laughed at, and he and was ridiculed for his work on the wall. But in the end, he stayed the course and did the impossible. He rebuilt that wall and other things would follow. And nearly 50 years later, another man would enter into Jerusalem with only one purpose. And that would be to love this man. Jesus was also mocked and hated, laughed at and ridiculed for his work. But he didn't let that opposition deter him from his focus. His focus was to love you. And his love took him to a cross where he gave it all. The greatest work of all. I can imagine his mother and the followers seeing him hanging on the cross, you know, and the countless miracles that they've seen him do before and, and all the things that they've witnessed. And they just look up at him and, and they say, Jesus, you take yourself off that cross. We've seen you do everything else. And I would imagine Jesus would reply and said, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. He didn't lose focus even in death. He didn't let the op opposition deter him. As a result, he accomplished his goal, which allows us the opportunity for salvation. All because he wouldn't come down. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Church, we have a great work to do here in Front Royal. And my challenge is to pray and seek God on what that is for us, what he's calling you to do. And then let me know. Because if anything, the church should be here to support what God has put on your heart. We want to do that. We've done that before with other ministries, with other people who just, you know, I want to do this one thing and we'll try to get resources for you. We'll do whatever we can. If God's put it on your heart, then that's God. I'm not, we're not going to stand in his way. I promise you that. So my challenge for you this week, not just this week, but every day, just ask him, God, what can we do right here in Front Royal? Ask him to put people in your path that will tell you what they need. There's a lot of people that have a lot of needs. And I'm telling you, buying a sandwich or providing one meal may seem like a simple thing, but it could change a person's life. You have no idea. This is needed in our community. And as we restore, our focus is going to be right here in Front Royal, Warren County area. And we need all of us because not just a few of us can do it. And I know a lot of you have passions. Well, you know, I don't, I'm too old. I'm too young. It's, it's nonsense. God can use you. And I know some of you, your, your thing, your thing, is one of the greatest things is you pray fervently for this church and for those that are leading. And that, to me, is such a blessing. And we feel it and we continue to feel that. So listen, we're going to end with a song. Um, it's pretty straightforward. It's called Jesus, We Love You. I don't think we've done it here yet. We have. See, I don't remember anything. But as we, as we sing this song together, just, just close your eyes and just in your heart, just ask the Lord to show you what he has for you. Amen.